This is the introduction to the full cast and crew podcast. After that obligatory line, I switch to a slightly more naturalistic tone as I introduce myself and my co-host Jason in a way either structurally or thematically related to the film we'll be discussing. Now my voice will change to get slightly more forceful as I relay the show's mission in a customized way, sometimes via a connection so obscure I've already forgotten what I was thinking, which I cover by lifting my voice slightly as I start the inevitable punchline, hold, and drive through to the end of the joke. Slight pause as I shift gears into the denouement, choosing either slightly tossed off and cheeky or dead earnestness. I thought you were going to do like a stewardess thing. That would have been good. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to tell you how to do the intros or anything, but... Trust me, that I'm was going to forget a, about it completely. That was like a meta deconstruction. Yes, which I think is one of the fascinating things about the movie is how it's a parody of, of a genre and yes. of a specific film. It really does deconstruct it in okay. a way that I didn't realize. Just starting right out of the gate for you airplane fans who love these stupid one-liners, Chris is going all sort of Foucault on you. <laughs> uh, how do you say off. airplane but, in French? L'airplane? Yes. Uh, we? Par avion. Par avion. I've seen that on envelopes. Where's the par? Oh, from? right. Par avion. Like for, um, for airmail. Airmail. Wait, does that really mean airplane? Avion. Unless Google that is, does it say it to me. Yeah. Avion. I was right about something. Oh, it is avion. Guys, I think we should. Oh, no. This is like yeah, a rare, yeah. rare occasion. <laughs> yeah, this will be really nice. We should talk about that before I cut it. Okay. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm Jason. I'm Chris. And we're joined this week, for better or for worse, we're not sure yet, worse. by our colleague, Young Nick Blake, Chris, you have an impressively well-centered piece of green spinach on your I wasn't right say front tooth. That is I was actually going to let you say something. I thought it was going to go away, but it's still, let me see. It's gone. Okay. It's an auditory medium, but I want you but to still, you know, look good, I want to feel good. my, yeah, look good, feel good. You're right. The centering on the tooth was. It was <laughs> I wasn't sure if he had like a diamond chip in lay, like a piece of jade yeah, inlaid like, in yeah, his I had a crazy night. Grill. <laughs> well, as I was saying, we were joined by Nick Blake. And then he left. Our colleague, but he left. <laughs> then I bounced. <laughs> Nick Blake, I was trying to remember to jot down some descriptive words about you. Oh, good. But I forgot to do it, so I'm just going to go off the top of my head. <laughs> I'm excited about that. Uh, I think genial, outgoing. Yes. yes. Yep. Also, young father. That's right. And young husband. You got married very young. What age were you? In? It's not that young, man. It was well, like 28. It's young for our generation, I guess. Anyway, we work with Nick here at Full Cast and Crew Central, and um, it's just his time. He sent us an extensive list of movies, which he believed himself to be capable of commenting on. Well, and should I like drop my movie creds? I nah, was uh, uh, Just going to a lot of movies give you credibility? Is I've that been, what you're going with? I've been Let to the listeners be the judge. movies. <laughs> More than Some twice. <laughs> I was uh, a movies guy for MTV News for a long time, two and a half years or something. Oh, where I wrote. Wait, did you write reviews or recaps? No, or I did. I wrote like, no, um, no, none of that. I wrote like comedic essays about movies. This is fascinating because this is millennial. Mm. Like Nick is a millennial mm. and these are credentials in the millennial world. Well, that's why I asked. How many resumes do you look you know, at? It's like, I did listicles for BuzzFeed. That's why I asked about recaps. Like that is its own. I know a lot of people, that's how they started. For your loyal listeners who are like, oh, Jesus, that's another asshole from his company that they're just bringing into the room. I just, <laughs> yeah, that's all I was saying. And, you know, listicles for BuzzFeed, you know, that's somebody's job, somebody's life. And I'm not going to demean it. Good for you. Okay. Good for genial. you. Anyway, first unite. she was genial and. Okay, so I forgot what movie we're here to discuss. All right, we're going to do Airplane. Wow, I was so excited to watch Airplane again. Me too. And I was excited, Chris, that you also reminded me to watch Hour Zero. Zero Zero hour. hour. Yes. I was so glad that Nick had recommended, because I don't think I would have thought to watch it just because why... Yeah. Talk about it as a then reading more and more about it. Like, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, it I fascinating. was, uh, when you sent me the AV Club 
oral history. When I was reading it on the way home yesterday, I was just like so, so excited to watch it again. And, you know, we're in the 40s or 50s for having watched that movie in my life. It's one of those movies you just always notice a new thing. Watching it last night, I noticed for the first time when Lloyd Bridges speaks to the reporter, somebody's holding an ice cream cone. And yes, as opposed to. I saw first that time too. I saw that last night. I don't know if I'm glad that I watched Zero Hour. I'm not going to say it diminishes yeah. the accomplishment of Airplane. However, I will say that prior to watching Zero Hour, I was willing to subscribe to the auteur theory of this film that the Zucker Abrams Zucker, Zaz, as they call themselves, I was willing to ascribe to them all of the genius of Airplane. However, when you watch Zero Hour, which is a 1956 or something B-movie. 1957 B-movie directed by Hall Bartlett based on a screenplay by Arthur Haley. What's funny yes. about that is Arthur Haley then wrote the book Airport, which became the movie Airport, which is often mistakenly thought of as, well, I guess kind of one of the things that Airplane satirizes. Is it Airport 75 or is it? It's a whole series. There's Airport, uh, Airport 75, Airport 77, and then Airport 79, which is actually a Concorde disaster. And I don't know how much time they actually spend at the airport. When you watch Airplane, the jokes, the gags, the performances, the whole thing is so spectacular and so original. Then you watch Zero Hour and you realize much of the dialogue is lifted directly from the source material, which is this hilariously awful picture that actually does depict the terrible things that occur when everyone on a plane has the fish. And in Airplane, without awareness of Zero Hour, the fish element to me just felt such a hilarious, like, MacGuffin to drive a plot. But then you watch Zero Hour and the whole thing is about they had the fish. <laughs> yeah, Who had the fish? They didn't the meals. They didn't change the meal. And they didn't even change the dialogue, like the whole scene in the cockpit where Leslie Nielsen is like trying to figure out what the common element is. Like that's lifted directly from the original movie. Not it's, just that, but the pilot sitting in front of him as he's talking about the symptoms. I'm not going to say took away from it because it's it's completes the, I know the origin story of yeah. understanding how they arrived at this, which is when they were doing Kentucky Fried Theater, they would just roll a VHS tape late night and then like see what they got and then make fun of it the next yeah. day on the show. And then one of the things they captured was Zero Hour. They bought the entire movie for 2,500 bucks? You have to. You definitely lifted the whole thing from it. This to me was a revelation, that it wasn't a parody of disaster films or airport mm -hmm. movies. I had the opposite reaction to you because good for them for being good editors to not only take the source material and know what to change, but then also to make great jokes that grew out of the actual yeah, dialogue. Yes. Yeah, they basically just punched up the lines, joke-wise. Or for just example, left them in. Well, for example, when talking specifically about the meat or the fish, in Zero Hour, they say, you know, what are the two things, meat or fish? Like, ah, yes, I remember, I had meat. And then yeah, in Airplane, course. it's... What was it we had for dinner tonight? Well, we had a choice, steak, fish. Yes, yes, I remember, I had lasagna. Someone did this on the internet. I wanted to do this, and then I found out someone had already done it, yeah. counting the gags and the jokes in the entire movie. Oh. And there are 223 gags, either a visual joke, an actual one-liner, or a physical setup comedy joke, concluding with the post-credits sequence of the guy in the taxi who's been waiting the entire running time of the film. <laughs> who then says, well, I guess I'll give him another 20 minutes, <laughs> but that's it. I've never seen that. That's after the credits? Yeah. Yes. It started the MCU. I was about to say, Marvel Studios <laughs> did not invent the post-credit sequence. Yeah, Nick missed that. Everybody's excited for the taxi guy to come back in Airplane <laughs> Airplane has a runtime of 86 minutes. Mm -hmm. At wow. 223 gags, that's 2.6 jokes per minute. I don't think there's any film that can best that. 
And they're all mostly funny. There's very few that doesn't land. That was what I was most surprised about. It's in the Pantheon as a thing, but I think it has the reputation of being dumb humor. However, watching it again, I'm not gonna say it's sophisticated, but it is that National Lampoon-esque style of highbrow, lowbrow. There's definitely yeah. a sophistication to it, for sure. In the interviews that I've read, the times that I've seen them interviewed, they're like, we're gag writers. We weren't thinking mm -hmm. about the structure, which is part of the reason why they leaned on the zero yeah, hour structure so yeah. much. And the jokes are really funny. It's not that they're dumb, but they're so Catholic about it that they're willing to be both high and low. Yeah. And you don't know what to expect, which I think makes them work that much better. For me, the visual gags are the higher comedy. For example, the nun reading boy's life <laughs> and then yeah. the boy reading nun's life. Yeah. And the cover of the magazine is surfs up and look who's surfing. <laughs> and it's like a nun. That's the best. I just think the visual jokes to me, I got the most appreciation out of. The wordplay jokes I enjoyed a lot. The joke I probably enjoyed the most is when Robert Hayes says, that's an altogether, that's a different plane altogether or something. It's, it's a different entirely kind of different kind of flying. It's an entirely different kind of flying <laughs> altogether. altogether. What flying experience have you had? Oh, I flew single engine fighters in the Air Force, but this plane has four engines. It's an entirely different kind of flying. All together. It's an entirely different kind of flying. Let's talk a little bit about the origins of the film. So Zaz, they had had some success with Kentucky Fried Movie, which was film adaptation of the theatrical show they were doing in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm which if you've seen it is of a piece with some of the National Lampoon kind of efforts of the time. It's not so dissimilar from what we were mentioning with our guest Lee Wilkoff about Disco Beaver from Outer Space, one Lampoon effort that's similar. And so they had been working on this but had attached themselves as directors and since they really didn't have a lot of feature film experience, that was not going to happen. I love Hollywood stories where the reality is you're just lucky and that's the fact of most everybody's success in this business. Their luck came about through Michael Eisner having dinner with a woman named Susan Bearwald, who at the time was reading scripts for United Artists. Apparently, Eisner asked her what she had liked that she had read recently. And she said, well, there's this one that we passed on at UA, but I thought it was really funny. She told him about it. And Eisner said to himself, hmm, comedy on an airplane, that's a good idea. The three guys got a call from Jeffrey Katzenberg saying, come on, we want to hear about it. I love the stories where the suits end up being right sometimes. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminds me of Brazil in a way where Gilliam's grand fights with Sid Sheinberg. When you unpack it and you get away from the easy creative genius versus cold, unfeeling suit, there's actually a much more interesting middle. They wanted to do some things that were bad ideas that Katzenberg and Eisner talk them out of shooting in black and white, having it be set on a prop airplane. It's so much funnier. The fact that they use the sound of a prop <laughs> plane yeah. flying over notice. a supposed jet. I didn't even notice until they mentioned it. No, I, I never noticed that. <laughs> so like every time you cut to the jet, it's literally like. But then, <laughs> in this uh, oral history, at some point they said, yeah, include, you know, some of the humor is pretty subtle, like the uh, sound of the prop airplane. And then one of the others interrupts. He's like, that's not no, subtle. <laughs> <laughs> And yet, like you said, there's so much going on. You just can't help but miss the joke here and there. The origin of the genius is in using the straight actors to do the comedic material. I don't know if that's an innovation. I don't know if no one had done that before in a movie. But this movie adheres to that for everyone other than our two main characters, Julie Haggerty and Robert Hayes. She is a comedic genius. Oh, okay. Her acting, her timing. My main priority today would have been to just preach the choir of Julie Haggerty being nominated for an Oscar for this movie. She's so <laughs> fucking funny. You know what? I would totally get behind that. She's the so, funniest person in this movie. And she has an ability that is very hard to do to transcend kind of the ditzy stereotype, which is where the character is centered, yet the intelligence with which she acts 
Mm-hmm. She has such total command of herself in the frame. That's right. She's incredible. But the straight guys, Peter Graves, Lloyd Bridges, Leslie Nielsen, Robert Stack, you can't replicate that with comedic actors. Like, it's such a fascinating example of how it would have been worse with some of the alternative so casters. Yes. Eisner and Zuckerberg talking them out of the black and white, talking them out of being set on a prop plane and maybe being set even in that time because on the Zero Hour one, he's clearly talking about World War II. And in this one, we're talking about a completely made up war that's set in an indeterminate time where the footage is all of basically World War II era planes. But yeah, he's talking about something set in like a fictional country or something. Right. Yeah. I actually found the fake war took me out of the movie. The juxtaposition of the World War II air footage interspersed with like, it's, it's the name of like a dressing or something, like the Battle of Roquefort or whatever he says. My orders came through. My squadron ships out tomorrow. We're bombing the storage depots at Daiquiri at 1,800 hours. We're coming in from the north, below their radar. When will you be back? I can't tell you that. It's classified. In the oral history, one of the things that one of the executives encouraged them to do was to include those flashbacks yes. to flesh out the story a little bit more, yes. which also made it a little bit closer to zero hour. Some of the scenes, particularly his like recovery <laughs> stuff. Flashbacks are some of the funniest parts of the movie, too. Yeah. The bar scene. And the, the bar scene is bar. great. I loved the Saturday Night Live parody to shout out to our- Saturday Night very, Fever. Saturday, Saturday Night Fever. Fever. Yes. To shout out our very first episode of Full Cast and Group. Julie Haherty, the oh physical- co- you know, I'm physical not a comedy. physical comedy person. Genius. So I think when I see Facial it done- so well. When she's dancing with the guy who's been stabbed. That's, yeah, her, she starts mimicking her. his stab. Oh my God, it's so good. <laughs> it's so fucking good. I'm pretty sure also that I saw George Went in the background of hmm. that Barbary Coast bar scene. Oh yeah. Wow. He actually is in Airplane 2. He's not credited in this and I couldn't find any evidence, but it's pretty definitely him. Good I don't candy. know how you end up we in catch. Airplane 2. Yeah, well, you got to wake, you got to work your way up. Which yeah. they didn't do, by the way. <laughs> Zucker Brothers yes. did not do, which I think is to their credit. Let's not give them too much credit. They still got paid. It was offered to them, but they said no. They had sold it. Oh, I just assumed that they must have gotten some producer credit. Let's see if they're listed here. I would be surprised if they didn't, but I don't yeah, see them I would here. Too. Airplane 2, directed by Ken Finkelman, written by Ken Finkelman, and it says uncredited Al Jean and Mike Rice, uh, or Reese, who are legendary Simpsons, Simpsons oh, executive yeah. producers and writers. Mm-hmm. So I haven't seen Airplane 2. I haven't either. Lloyd Bridges is in it. You've never seen it? Peter Graves. I know the joke uh, about whoever shooting the dog Scraps as it's trying to board the plane. Scraps! He shot him! He shot Scraps! He shot Just joking, Blank C. Scraps is fine. That's the only joke I know okay, from Airplane Chris, 2. I was watching Zero Hour and I was like, I can't believe they didn't do this, but I guess it's because it was already such a parody of itself. But the freaking character who has the sock puppet. Hmm. I had such a good sleep. Wait a minute. I think there's someone staring at us. Hattie, we're on an airplane. There are other people with us, remember? He's not joining our night now, is he, Tony? You know I work alone. Oh, stop. I'll find out for myself. Excuse me, young man. Are you in show business? Who, me? He's a nice looking boy. He might be moving material. Say, what's his name? Paddy. He works for me. Hello, darling. Oh, fasten your safety belts. It's going to be a rough ride. It certainly is. Joey, here's your dinner. Well, you didn't bring me my dinner, darling. Well, what would you like? 
A little kiss. Not now, later. He's the either fiance or boyfriend of, of the, the stewardess. Flight, of the stewardess, the flight attendant. And she he is also trying to chase her down. I guess you know that there seems to be some problem that he either won't commit or whatever. And he's saying, like, yeah, if I get if I take this thing, I'll get an MC job or something like that. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't pick up on the clever clever. I mean, this it was well, very yeah, he was clever <laughs> loosely. Uh is that Jerry Paris playing Tony Decker? Yes, the ventriloquist. The ventriloquist, yeah. Um, it's so bizarre. There are actually parts of Zero Hour that are even more bizarre than Airplane. <laughs> yeah, it's worth watching. But then again, not worth watching. You know, it was compelling. It was a I tough mean, watch. If it was more than an, than an hour and ten, I, maybe it would. But I found it pretty compelling. I thought Sterling Hayden. Oh, I hated uh, seeing him in that. <laughs> I, yeah, it was he was not well supported actor wise in that in that. Film. Is that late Sterling Hayden or early? This is because I, I, I want to exonerate I, him. So all that early, because I mean, I know he was going through I, some uh, stuff. Through, well, <laughs> <I was gonna laughs> say, <laughs> watching him methodically chew through, it's the, it's the equivalent of this, you know, just like. Yeah. Gotta get that cash. <laughs> Gotta get that check. On the other hand, you know, not that we should be on zero hour more than airplane, but that Dana Andrews, she's he, great. He is uh, <laughs> is also very good. Uh, I mean, that's why I couldn't find a photo. The, you know, he's the main guy. You're right that it's a B movie, and but like he was definitely acting the shit out of it. And funny enough, he ended up appearing in I think Airport 75. Mm. Got himself not as groove. the same character. Not, <laughs> not as the same character. I don't know how much of a conscious shout out it was, or if it's just like give me somebody cheap. There are two elements of the movie that I thought helped elevate it above the typical parody. Elmer Bernstein's score, score is so good. which is the musical equivalent of those great straight actors doing yeah. comedy. It's That's scored right. believably to the type of scene that we're in. So then when we're in a romantic scene, it's over the top syrupy strings. And, and then when we're in an action sequence, it's an action sequence score. And it's a real score. I don't, I'm not going to say it's better than the subject, but it's the type of score you would get if you were making a real Raiders of the Lost Ark movie or a real romantic comedy. Well, look, that's sophisticated yeah. to go back to that idea. And the fights, like the fight scene and the stunts, <laughs> like that fight scene is a really, really well staged, actually <laughs> really kinetic. The blonde girl gets her like, ass It's hit. a really good fight scene. Yes, if you really watch, you can see that it's two men dressed as Girl Scouts. Wait, for real? Yes. Not for all of it. Well, for like the, the first shot, you know, no, I was noticing the stunts, the, the, stunt hands, performers the stunts are men, They're <laughs> the men. hands over the card. I was like, those are interesting hands, but it never crossed my mind that they were I really thought they were women. Just to give you an idea of how early I watched this movie, I vividly remember rooting for the blonde lady because I was also blonde and <laughs> I felt really, uh, yeah, I felt a sense of uh, family. Yeah, I thought they were both blonde. No, both the girls yeah, they were both blonde. It's like blonde and strawberry blonde. I see. Mm. Well, you know, we're talking jet blonde versus like a red auburny type. Of that is a long scene in the bar. I forgot that whole scene. Yeah, because it's sort of outside the movie. One of the anecdotes they talked about when they did one of the first screenings, the projectionist forgot to play real four. Real four, yeah. One of the Zuckers was like, I was worried it wasn't going to move <laughs> along, but it, it does <laughs> clip right along. And then the other brother was like, he's not playing real four. And he went up and got a whole argument with the projectionist he was like, I've been doing this 40 yeah, years. I, I know how to line. run a film. And he's like, <laughs> you left out a whole reel. <laughs> that scene yeah. is arguably made by the secondary characters, not just the Girl Scouts, <laughs> oh, yes. but the guy who gets stabbed and then the guy who Stryker <laughs> asks to pinch him. <laughs> that, is that is great. That is great. So good. What's great about the movie's jokes are the jokes are conversational in origin. Like you can imagine the three of them sitting around and saying, yeah, but what if this happened? The way the visual humor, even in 
the scenes where it's a written joke is portrayed, it really feels like three funny guys sat around and came up with how this was going to be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's such an interesting and different feel than a movie like Moonstruck, for example, Mm -hmm. where you have great performances, but really, once you watch the movie, you're kind of aware that the screenplay and the writing is the genius. Well, that's also a movie about something. That's a movie that's got a story and characters. Well, this is about not eating fish on a plane. What are you talking about? Mm, I mean, Zero Hour was about not eating fish on a plane. (laughs) This, if I may quote frequent parodist Vladimir Nabokov, satire is a lesson, parody is a game. What does that mean? In the case of this, it is all about the jokes, which are deconstructing the genre. And it's sort of a game. It's playing with the conventions of the kind of film, the film that they have seen, not adding up to any more than just commenting on that, which I think is a different kind of movie than something like Moonstruck. Sure. Like Heather's as a satire, there's a lesson that it's coming to and whatever it's exaggerating or deconstructing, it's all to a purpose. And I think part of why it's so successful and why I think they're kind of a unique voice and it's a pity that they actually didn't do that much together, the Zazz guys. What do you mean? Because there's nothing else except for, like you said, funny guys liked watching this movie and then made jokes about it. That sort of fun is Mm -hmm. what makes it so awesome. Uh, That kind of harkens back to what I was saying earlier, though, about sophistication, where it's like this is the highest form, possible form of parody versus of satire. There's an art to this as well. But they only directed four films together. Airplane, The Pilot to Police Squad, Top Secret and Ruthless People, which I'm sure is perfectly nice, but it's definitely not in the same kind of genre. Mm -hmm. I think of them as such a towering group, and this movie is so influential and really kind of thought that there would be more. Apparently, when the three of them would be asked, like, hey, what's it like to have three directors? Did you gentlemen uh, take turns directing this thing? Did you direct it um, as a trio, or how did that work? Well, well, the thing well, is, in order for the three guys to actually be right, because they're all down, otherwise it would become very confusing. Yeah, yeah, it would be, would be tough. And maybe that's why. All three of them worked yeah. quite a bit. I just meant together and this kind of parody. Yeah. But there weren't. Well, you had Police Academy or Naked Gun, whatever it's called. Or police Squad. Yeah. No, Naked Gun. Police, police Squad, squad was TV the show, TV right? show. Yeah. yeah. Wait, and so then, who directed Naked Gun if it wasn't the three of them? One of them did and- uh, Zuck, David Zucker. Didn't. Yeah, okay. Again, all three of them did Police Squad, which only ran, I think, six wonderful episodes. <laughs> uh, but I think all of them were involved in that. But I think after that- Was uh, it you who was defending Basketball? Mm-mm. Are you a big basketball guy? Never seen That's it. That's a David Zucker movie. The movie's okay. Watch Somebody was defending it. I don't remember who. Uh, another brilliant scene in the war hospital. A, I thought I saw <laughs> Philip Michael Thomas, later of Miami Vice, in one of the beds in an uncredited cameo. Uh-huh. So that's for viewers to check out. He's not listed. The Ethel Merman joke is so fucking Superb. Oh. What's his world? It's Lieutenant Hurwitz. Severe shell shock. Thinks he's Ethel Merman. You'll be swell. You'll be great. Gonna have the whole world on a plate. Starting here. Start now. Honey, everything's coming up. War is hell. That is so easy but so brilliantly used. We could get into alternative casting, but she was actually the third choice for that Mm -hmm. part. (laughs) That's a Chris joke. In case you want to know what unsophisticated cop yeah. <laughs> Listen, it would be at home in this movie. It'd probably get cut. A great Julie Haggerty <laughs> moment in the hospital scene is when she breaks the news that Lieutenant Zip has died. <laughs> yes. And she gets spit at with the water and then just goes right back into her sentence as if it didn't happen. They've cleared you of any blame for what happened on that raid. Isn't that good news? Is it? Because of my mistake, six men didn't return from that raid. 
Seth and Lieutenant Zip died this morning. But Dr. Sandler says she'll be out in a week. Isn't that wonderful? The physical, her faces in that moment. Yeah are so fucking funny. That takes skill. Yeah. I always reference Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. He's hitting on Andy McDowell at the mm-hmm, bar, mm-hmm. and he's pretending to be surprised by the sweet vermouth on the rocks with a twist, and it's his facial expressions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that separate him. It's the same thing with Julie Haggerty yeah. in that scene and in this movie, that her facial expressions that she doles out are so good. Also, speaking of her looks, after the crude autopilot oral sex gag, uh-huh. where she has to manually inflate <laughs> oh, yeah, him below the belt. The cigarette. And then Leslie Nielsen enters in and sees what's going on and delicately removes himself from the cockpit. After that scene, they're sitting smoking cigarettes. Oh, so good. But the brilliance is that Julie Haggerty then gives an angry look at the co-pilot. <laughs> And that that look is so specific that I'm sure that's her choice that she made. Right. Because it's kind of the look of like, I can't believe you just made me do that. No, I didn't take it as angry. That's what it was. I I took it as like sexual, like seductive. No, Where she's just like, we just banged. No. I'm still hot over here. No. It is the way I always took it. It's an angry look. It's definitely. That's the genius of it. Dude, she's chill. She's smoking She's not chill. She's very satisfied. And she looks over and I'm like, hell yeah. That's why she's smoking. That's not the look. What what would she be angry about? She didn't get hers. I guess. One of the interesting things, she is not included in the oral history. No. And she never talked about it. Have you guys seen the movie Just Friends? It's the, a random Ryan Reynolds, Amy Smart movie where she uh-huh. plays Ryan Reynolds' mom. And she's so, she basically redoes this role, but as like a 55-year-old woman. And she's so, yeah. so funny. No, I haven't seen it. Fantastic Julie Haggerty role. The one comment that this uh, oral history got is, why couldn't they talk to Julie Haggerty? What, is she too busy or something? I and then that. The, oh, I saw that then the, author, oh, but it's the author's the response is like, if by they, you, you mean me. me. I reached out to her publicist, but her publicist uh, said she wasn't available. But, and I didn't realize that she um, hasn't done a lot of interviews and hasn't talked about this. And yeah. hasn't been like on the circuit in the same way that Robert Hayes, that Peter Graves. Sure. I hope she's not like ashamed of the movie or the performance or something. I don't I think mean, so. I think she just doesn't. I think there's a certain comic thing of like, you don't talk about it. To talk about it yeah. takes yeah. away from the comedy. That's why the sequel was doomed from the start. Yeah. And making a sequel, it's like you're, we're all in on the joke. I did want to play a Julie Haggerty clip, not from this movie, but one of my favorite Julie Haggerty scenes. Albert Brooks is lost in America. Yeah. They're traveling across the country to rediscover the American dream. And in another brilliant Julie Haggerty turn, she sneaks out of their casino hotel room in the middle of the night, goes down to the roulette table and proceeds to blow the entirety of their life savings. This is a scene where Albert Brooks discovers her and the interplay between them and Gary Marshall, who you'll hear as the floor boss, is so great, particularly when Albert gets caught up in the excitement. Come on, come on, back. 22, come on, come on, come on, 22, 22. What's the matter with you? Not now, not now, just go away, not now. Come on, 22, root for me, we're going for 22, 22, 22, 22. How much did you lose? God, shit. How much was that? Shit. How much money is that? One more time, 22. Why are you betting 22? 22, big chip, 22. Come on back to me, 22, just come on back. Been here all night. She's not on a lucky streak. I think you should talk to her. How much has she lost? Talk to her. How much? Talk. Come on. Come on. The man says you're not on a lucky streak. What man? Right over here. He says you've lost. I was down earlier, but come on. And you're up now? No, I'm still down, but I'm going to hit now. How down are you? David, you're going to bring me bad luck now. Stop it. Come on. 22, 22. Come on. 22. 22. All right. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. I'm up. $35. What? 
We're up. No, we're still down. How down? Down. How 22. Down. down. 22. How down is she? Down. Come on. 22. How down are you? 20. Down. How much down. have you lost? Everything. What does that mean? Everything. No, what do you mean? Everything on 22 and make it happen for me. Why the 22. hell are you betting 22. all that on one number? On, Where did you get that number? What is 22? Come on, bet. Stop betting Come 22. On, Double zero. Shit. You lost. It's gone. Twenty-two. What do you mean? Twenty-two. Two. You have two, no more money. Two, Stop. It. Twenty-two. There's no more money two, there. Stop two, it. Two, you really like twenty-two, huh? Stop it. Come in. Twenty-two. Two. I'm gonna hit on twenty-two. You're not there anymore. Oh my God. I have several friends like that. So yes. good. Half the dialogue is just repeating the word twenty-two, mm-hmm. but she manages to do it originally each time. Incredible physical comedy from her. I'm trying to think of what else I had seen her. Because I guess, like I said, I'd, I'm the only one here who's a completist and has also seen Airplane 2, the sequel. Uh, I'd seen, I think, Midsummer Night's sex comedy. She also is a Broadway actor, a lot of TV. I think the great roles are really this, Lost in America. Those are the two I you think You guys of. really need to see Just Friends. It's a throwaway Ryan Reynolds movie. But she's What so about Reversal of Fortune, another podcast That's episode. right. Oh, yes. Here's a fun fact. She was in all that jazz, but hmm. her small part was cut out. That was her first film role. Who did even she I guess play? before this. Uh, all it says, small part that was cut out of the final But film. as we learned from Lee, you still get residuals. So, huh. cha-ching for Julie Hagerty. Bullcast and Crew is brought to you by Two Different Guys on a Bench, a new comedy series from American Vandal star Ryan O'Flanagan. Two Different Guys on a Bench, where Ryan talks to Ryan on a bench. We keep the comedy simple, folks. Two different guys on a bench videos can be found now on Facebook at Chuckler Comedy. Like and follow Chuckler for the latest and greatest short form comedy videos. Chuckler, original comedy delivered daily. The other half is, of course, Robert Hayes. Robert Hayes, man. Another Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live. Now I'm doing it. Saturday Night Fever. Saturday Night Fever callback <laughs> is that at the time that he was filming this, he was in Angie. Angie, Donna Pascal. They go into quite a bit of detail in this oral history about how difficult it was for him, boo-hoo, to yeah. shoot both the television show <laughs> and the film on uh, for the same On the same lot. It's on the same lot. It's like a golf cart. To his credit, he does tell on himself that his other castmates was like, are you fucking complaining? It's a movie. Um, I've never seen Angie. Have you seen no, Angie? Sure. I know you. I was, yeah. Donna Pascal. Was it good? Was he good? Shout out Peter Johansson. Was Donna Pascal good in Angie? <laughs> I mean, in the future, some guy in LA listening to this is scoffing right. at you right Yes, now. of course. I mean, good. You know. Was the show good, Angie? Yeah, the show was a good show. I mean, it's uh-huh. a sitcom. It's a firmly second tier Right. rom-com sitcom in the oral history that when they actually did watch it they're like oh my gosh we made a huge mistake casting him so i don't know how uh, how much bigger he was oh who he says oh, the producers they, after yeah. they cast him they're, they're like, like oh, watch we should it. really go check out this tv show you're yeah. on exactly yeah and so i was wondering if maybe he played like a zanier character because of course the thing that he brought to this like julia Hegarty, he's playing it not completely straight, but damn close. Mm-hmm. Yes. Here was a, one of the things that uh, I hadn't noticed. The one time he breaks and looks to camera after she like says, you know, this will never work and I don't respect <laughs> yeah. you. Yes. Here's the camera and he's like. Don't you feel anything for me at all anymore? It takes so many things to make love last. Most of all, it takes respect. And I can't live with the man I don't respect. What a pisser. Like yeah. five minutes into the movie, too. It's like you barely know the guy at that point. It's so He's funny. an interesting case in the movie because, as you said, Nick, Julie Haggerty is obviously one of the most talented comedic performers in the movie. Graves, Lloyd Bridges, Robert Stack are all excellent doing what they're doing. Robert Hayes 
is just good enough in a way that really services the film. Yes. Like he kind of has to be a little bit of a blank canvas for us, the viewer, to experience the movie through. Yeah, that's so right. So he can't be an overwhelming screen presence is what yes. I mean. Mm -hmm. I think that's like the, if it was Christopher Reeve in the role or something, it would be weird. He's at the center of the movie, but really everyone revolving around him is the point of the movie. I didn't read any of them say anything about that. And I think we've had this conversation before about... Uh, it came up in Saturday Night Fever, in fact, when we were talking about casting the faces around right. Travolta. But Travolta has to be yep. the magnetic presence at the center. This is kind of the opposite, where you sort of have to have a Robert Hayes so that yep. Robert Stack, Leslie Nielsen, Julie Haggerty, Steven Stucker, everybody can be funny around him. Yeah. He's not really in the scene. He sets the table. He's great. He's not like remarkable. He's teeing up great people he like he said, Robert Stack, who I think everybody will know from the Transformers movie, uh, where he worked with Orson Welles. Uh, Lloyd Bridges. Lloyd Bridges. Who man. I guess has uh, a son. Two sons. A couple of Two sons. sons, yeah. Didn't you ever see Fabio's Baker Boys? <laughs> yeah, there's Michelle Pfeiffer and... I can't remember who else. You know, was in it. by the way, you just introduced a topic I think about frequently. Could you make a case that Bo Bridges is the more talented Bridges sibling? Wow. I don't know. That is scorching, my friend. I mean, he's he is good. It's not a situation like Ron Howard and his brother, or like <laughs> Sylvester Stallone and Frank Stallone. Baldwin's. It's not like you also have like five or twelve of them. Yeah, I'm talking about. So you have like small, have medium, here. large. You have the whole thing as opposed but to like just the Bob binary. Bridges is a legit great actor, and I know Jeff Bridges is a whole thing. However, I'm just wondering: could you say, you know, Bo Bridges the better actor? Uh, I think that might be going a little bit far only because one is a character actor, one is a leading man. And usually leading men don't tend to be as, as skilled. Like it's it's, yeah. it's usually less pretty of face. a lift. Jeff Bridges, I think, is a particular case he's where- He's not that pretty. I mean, he's not like a handsome- no, He's not he a Harrison a handsome Ford. Guy in his, yeah, he's not a 90s, Brad Pitt Harrison Ford. I'm with Ford. That, uh, that screech. Yeah, 90s, 90s <laughs> Jeff Bridges yeah. could get it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Bo Bridges, while I'm sure his wife finds him handsome, not as overtly <laughs> handsome, which gave him a lot of but opportunity that's what I'm saying. to play that a lot of more acting roles. credibility. Hmm. But Jeff Bridges, I think, is a particular kind of leading man, and that there always was more depth to him. I love Bo and Jerry Maguire. Hmm. My word is bond. Uh, He's great in that small yeah. cameo. Needed really fucking hate actor. that guy. Yeah, in so a good, good way. Yeah. You ever see the what is it? Allegedly true story of the Texas cheerleading yes. killing mom. Yes, that's a great. Uh, the film is a made-for-TV movie. It's a, I guess it's a made-for-at-the-time. Yeah, Wait, is that I think also the title good. of this movie? It's, the, it's a long title, yeah. like the allegedly true story of the, the real-life like Texas a, cheerleading uh, mom. It was the headlines before that was a thing. But it was a great movie. It was done by, um, I forget his name, but he's a very good director. Michael Ritchie. Bo, Bo Bridges, you've seen that. Bo Bridges is fantastic in that because he plays a part where he has to be dumb, mm -hmm. but he can't be so dumb because yeah. Holly Hunter is pretty cagey. Well, Lloyd Bridges is, is oh, yeah. it's <laughs> great to see Lloyd Bridges in Airplane because I think for people in our generation and your generation, you never saw Lloyd Bridges in Sea Hunt. There's a lot written about how the straight guys took to the material where you have Lloyd Bridges as an old pro and kind of understood what was what. I think it was Robert Stack who took to it most quickly. Lloyd Bridges, I think, was doing too much. They were trying to direct him and having some difficulty and Robert Stack was like, just Lloyd, let, let me put it to you this way. And like, just gave him a simple yeah. thing. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll... Let me try it that way. I think he said to him, they want us to do it straight. Maybe, maybe you know, it was he was trying to yeah. mug and he was like, no, no, no. The, the, the trick is we're doing it. And because we're doing it, you kind of play it straight and it's going to be hilarious. And I would not have guessed that it was Robert Stack <laughs> that would have been the one to get the humor on that level. I mean, if you hear that voice. Unsolved Mysteries. It's I incredible. Think, I yeah. think of Unsolved yeah. Mysteries. It's and only Unsolved Mysteries, really. As young Nick Blake, that's how I know Robert Stack is. Yeah. Sure. 
host of Unsolved Mysteries with Dennis Freeman. Did the murder ever come to fruition? We don't know. Join me next week. Perhaps <laughs> you mysteries. can help solve the mystery. And Robert Graves. Well, I mean, Rose. Peter Graves. Peter, rather. Peter Graves. Hello. Uh, Mission Impossible. Matt, hit me with the iconic Mission Impossible theme. Graves was in the TV series. He was in the TV series. Mr. Phelps. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, what was I going to say about the Mission Impossible was awesome as a TV series? But I was going to use that as a that springboard. The IMF force was an unstoppable force. <laughs> Who's Ethan Hunt in the TV series? I don't think you had an Ethan Hunt. That's a construct for the movies. Got it. Okay, I didn't uh, know that. Peter Graves was Mr. Phelps. You had Greg Morris playing Barney, Barbara Bain as Cinnamon, and the great Martin Landau yes. as Roland Hand. And, uh, and Nimoy. Well, but when talking about the straight guys, obviously, I think the ur of this and this probably the biggest influence that this film had was to give us the second coming of Leslie Nielsen. Was that a gift? Oh, I mean, oh, how offensive. What are what's Naked a, Gun? He's yeah, so I was good. Say, the Naked Gun movies, even the least of them and the police squad. Like, I think he's basically I mean, his it's whole. It's more of the same. To me, this is the thing. I don't really have a lot of time for Naked Gun. Just yeah, to me, that's just would, the same joke over and over and over again. I would again. think you would like I mean, it as somebody who likes detective stuff. And I do, but it's cop stuff. Also, OJ's yeah. in it. To me, those are so much broader than this in a way that's not good. But I haven't seen them in 25, like, 30 years. So, but, you, okay, but I'm pretty sure there's right. that, there's, like most There things. was a scene that I was watching before from that that I was just amazed at really? how funny it was. Where they're talking to a witness. You are notoriously susceptible to, to the lowest- yes denominator of comedy. I mean, I've heard you chuckle sure. over like people being hit in the face with pies and stuff. If it's well delivered. I mean, you know, I appreciate <laughs> so just, you know, there's I a want lot Nick to go it. into this with a grain of salt. Do Leslie Nielsen tribute police squad and watch the first thing. Okay, let's see. Hello, Miss Decker. Hello. I'm Captain Frank Drebin. I understand you had a pretty rough time. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Cigarette? Yes, I know. Do you feel up to any questions? I'll try. Where were you when all this happened? I was right here at my desk working. And when was the first time you noticed something was wrong? Well, when I first heard the shot, and as I turned, Jim fell. Uh, he's a teller, Frank. But Jim Fell's a teller? No, Jim Johnson. Who's Jim Fell? Well, he's the auditor, Frank. He had the flu, so Jim filled in. Phil who? Phil did, and he's the night watchman, Frank. <laughs> Fully Phil had been here. Right, now, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. Twice came in and shot the teller and Jim fell. No, he only shot the teller, Jim Johnson. Fell is ill. Okay, then after he shot the teller, you shot twice. No, I only shot once. Twice is the hold-up man. Then I guess I did shoot twice. Well, so now you're changing your story. Okay, so this is just who's on first. Yeah, I mean, it's who's not, on first. It's, I mean, but it's, it's really well done. Know, but really it, well but it was really well done once before. But in a, that's all that is. In a vaudeville scene. Yeah. So I'm but just saying. it is in action. I know, but I'm just saying in Airplane, you have more originality is what I'm saying. Hmm. Even though it's ripping off a movie. Right. <laughs> I mean, except for 90% so of I, the I get what you're saying. I, it's... It's more, it's, what I'm saying is it's more the same, and I yeah. guess if I'm going to go get that, I want to watch it in airplane. And I guess for me, it's more like more, more of it more is more fun. The better. Yeah, I mean, though, I, cigarette. Yes, I know. Yeah. Okay, it's yeah. <laughs> though I will say yes. Obviously, towards the end, he was doing a lot. Like I, you know, not a big Mr. Magoo fan or yeah. ooh, 
love Mr. Magoo. Not Leslie Nielsen no, as Leslie Mr. Nielsen oh. as Mr. Magoo. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, this is all I know him as. I only know him yeah, as yeah. a serious guy because I read these retrospectives. Right. Like I only know Leslie Nielsen as this hilarious, straight faced. And it was funny to, to hear people jokes. talking about that stuff, about how I grew up with that guy. He's like, oh, I've always wanted to be a comedian. Yeah. Nobody asked. And he was like 55, too. Yeah. It's like where he, just, he was just waiting, I guess. Did I you hear that. about his uh, fart machine? Hear about it. It's all anybody would talk about. I got the sense that the Zuckers and Abrahams were annoyed because he had these things made from the prop department that would make ridiculously loud, wet fart sounds. And he would deploy them relentlessly. Yeah. And eventually got to a point where they had to be like, if anyone has these things, put them in the fucking can right now. We're t- <laughs> well, and it got, got to the point where I was like, business. oh, God, please stop doing the fart sounds. <laughs> I love Jill Whalen as the sick girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, later, Vicky Steubing in Love Boat, of course. Yes. Mm-hmm. The irony is that her mother, who I recognized, and I didn't know why I recognized her, had played Gavin McLeod's wife on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Mm-hmm. And then Jill Whalen played Gavin McLeod's daughter on The Love Boat. There you go. It's all in the family. Also, major shout out to Al White and Norman Gibbs. Uh, yes. That story was incredible. I really loved reading their take on yeah. how the script just sort of had, they speak some jive. Like they right. didn't really get into it. And it was the two actors who took it upon themselves to really deliver the ask in a way that is really brilliant. It would have been easy to do it in a nonsensical way and then just subtitle it because the joke is the subtitle. Yes. However, because they took the time to work out a language that they essentially invented. So he says in the article, to give you an example, he says, Mac yourself a pro, slick, that gray matter back, a lot of performers down, not take TCB in, man. And then he goes on to say like, so Mac was taken from the black English book. It means to speak. Mac herself a pro. She said she was a pro or a professional. Slick was what I called him. Gray matter back, I needed a word to jive down the word remember, but I couldn't find any of the books. So I said, well, let me see. Gray matter is the thinking part of the brain. Back for remember back. If you listen to that sequence again, it's yeah. all in there and it's so fucking good. That's a great One of sequence. the best. A uh, funny thing about that is <laughs> Don't that- Don't be so naive, Arthur. In the Italian version, they were dubbed with a Neapolitan dialect. So like that's who the joke would be on? Yes. Like and, Neapolitan uh, speakers would be indecipherable. To, to the audience. The, I don't know, was the there audience. an outrage? Uh, Probably, not that right. I saw mentioned, but you know, I'm sure. In the German version, it was dubbed into the Bavarian dialect with subtitles in standard German. Any other dialect? That's it. Those are the only two Do you know that. what the films were called, oh. respectively, in Italian and German? I have a whole list of the alternate titles from different countries, and it's a long list. Uh, in Germany, it was, <laughs> it was The Incredible Trip in a Crazy Airplane. <laughs> The movie's title in Brazil is Tighten Your Seatbelts. The pilot is gone. (laughs) Seatbelts? The Norway title is Help, We're Flying. (laughs) That's it? Uh, oh, I got I got Italian, yeah, I got Latin I mean, American, Australian. For Norwegian, that's, that's just help. <laughs> yeah, it's just help, we're flying. Okay. Oh, you got the American. What was it in American, Chris? Uh, it, was, I, <laughs> it was just airplane with <laughs> an exclamation point. <laughs> Which I will go to my grave saying this is the greatest film with an exclamation point in its title ever made. Oh, yeah? You think... Can we uh, name them all? <laughs> well, Zero Hour. Just strikes me as a also, Does that have an exclamation point? <laughs> Top Secret has is an exclamation point, right? It's the internet. If someone doesn't yeah, have t- a thing... I think you're right. Movies with exclamation points. Yeah, Boomerang, 1947. Ilya oh, Kazan. Viva Zabata. Ah, yeah. Ilya Kazan, Marlon Brando. Them. That's a good one. Yeah. Sci-fi classic, Mysterious Disappearance and Deaths, which are eventually attributed to... Ants. That's such a good Spoiler. one. Spoiler. I Want to Live. Hmm. Robert Wise, Susan Hayward, won a Best Actress Oscar for a performance as a woman who has a criminal past but winds up on death row for a crime she did not commit. Girls, 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 the Elvis Presley vehicle. 
McClintock, John Wayne, Maureen O'Hara. 2000 Maniacs, loosely inspired by Brigadoon, Chris. 2000 Maniacs, <laughs> loosely inspired by Brigadoon? Yes. I guess very loosely. Uh, that Darn Cat. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm, yeah. That's a great Disney classic, classic. starring Haley Mills, also from the podcast. Yes. Parent Shines. <laughs> she's well, very versatile. She's in the original Parent Trap. Which Parent yes, Trap did you yes. guys do? The, well, we did both. both. Got it. Okay. How about Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, which... Uh, Russ I, Meyer's classic. Russ Meyer's classic. I believe a Russ Meyer regular portrays the boobs, which every teenage boy who saw Airplane in yes. the 80s remembers. Those are Kitten Natividad's boobs. I am Dated. sorry, Jason. Yes. Kitten, <laughs> I, you did. I'm sorry, but I actually, she denies that those were her. Oh, uh, really? Her well, she's credited. She said that her boobs were filmed for a different gag. She's the Jello. Yeah. We cut to the Jello. Cut to the Jello, and the, the, the boobs the are shaking. clothed boobs. She's oh, not, I see. Okay. You yes, she was the she's naked the Jello boobs. one, but not the. Uh, well, who are the, the naked, naked boobs? I don't know. I think it's unidentified. Yeah. Hmm. I think like uh, last week, you know, we were talking about who did the other screen test with Sherry. It was probably also Peter Gallagher. <laughs> <laughs> Kareem got a shout out. I think Kareem. I'm going to say is the best athlete cameo in a film ever. No doubt. Better than um, Shazam, better than Jordan. What about Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch, <laughs> who right. played Captain Bill Wilson <laughs> yes. in Zero Hour? Zero Hour. Who was he, a baseball player? Crazy Legs? Football player. I, I thought he was a break right. dancer. <laughs> B-boy really, style. Really, uh, really early thinking. Uh, Pete Rose, and I, yeah, I just keep well, thinking about how bad that would be. So they offered Kareem 30 grand, and they tell a great anecdote that the agent asked for 35 because that's how much a rug that Kareem wanted to buy cost. It was an art piece rug, not a walking on rug. So I think our initial reaction was, that's got to be the best line we've ever heard from an agent. Yeah. They thought, wow, this guy's really creative, wheedling another five grand out of us. But then a couple weeks later, in time, there was a picture of Kareem standing in front <laughs> of the Oriental rug that he bought for $35,000. They all have great things to say about Kareem on the set. Yeah. And he's good. He's good in he's the He's genuinely good. And I, as a kid, what I remember the most is him grabbing the kid forcefully and fucking lay down the law. I'm sorry, son, but you must have me confused with someone else. My name is Roger Murdoch. I'm the co-pilot. You are Kareem. I've seen you play. My dad's got season tickets. I think you should go back to your seat now, Joey. Right, Clarence? Oh, he's not bothering anyone. Let him stay here. All right, but just remember, my name is Roger Murdoch. I'm an airline pilot. I think you're the greatest, but my dad says you don't work hard enough on defense. And he says that lots of times you don't even run down court. And that you don't really try, except during the playoffs. The hell I don't. Listen, kid, I've been hearing that crap ever since I was at UCLA. I'm out there busting my buns every night. Tell your old man to drag Walton and Lanier up and down the court for 48 minutes. That stuck with that, me forever yeah. as a child. Uh, is this something about being probably the age of Joey in that scene when you see this movie for the first time? Yeah. I remember being a kid reading Kareem's autobiography, Giant Steps, I think it's called. It was a paperback. Uh -huh. Paperbacks had like that thick section in the middle of the photos. Yep. So you'd read up to that part. And, and then, then if you, you were like me, photos. you wouldn't look at the photos because oh. half the photos contain references to things you haven't read yet in the book. I don't know why they didn't just put them at the end of these books. Mm. You good know what I mean? You. There's no good way to do that. It would never cross my mind. In fact, I would use those photos as like, if I can just get there, I can finally see some pictures. And then reward myself by Big looking time. at the pictures. Oh, yeah, that's the whole point. No, because then you, when you read a book and then you go look at the photos and then you're like, wow, that's the photo of that thing I read about. Yeah, maybe. And then you can parse over the photo. I, I, just, my reading I savored that. was never great. Love that. 
Now, did he appear in Airplane 2? You're the only one who's seen it, Chris. You probably did. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't think he did. No. But in that uh, oral history, they do. Robert Hayes references some fundraiser thing they did in Wisconsin that he did come back for. Oh, no. you're talking about the film that they did for the Wisconsin tourism. Maybe that's oh, the tourism that's film. That's, tourism. that's yes. right. Yes. yes. Another referential moment. I believe David Leisure came up in something we recently did. Joey Zuzu. Uh, wow. No. no right, because that's who David Leisure is. Yes. Right? And he came up in, is he in Flash Gordon? He came up in the pod recently, and You're he's right. in this and as I, well. I tried thinking. What the hell was it? David Leisure, Nick, you remember as the commercial as, star Joe Izuzu. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Anyway, he's that, one of the Harry Krishnas. Yep. This is his first Yeah, film. he even said it was the first time he was in front of a camera. What the hell was he in? Heart to Heart. I'm trying to look at his credits here. TJ Hooker, nah. Falcon Crest. If only we did all Airplane of two. Falcon Crest. It's going to drive me crazy now. You should, you'll have to go back and listen to all of them. <laughs> I remember this coming up because I actually I mean, texted someone who in, knows him and said, by the way, well, who your knows friend him? David Leisure is going to be in the pod this week. I think I'm going to cut it. Uh, well, who, no, no, I didn't mention it on the pod. I'm just saying that happened in real life. No, I might have cut it so that your friend oh. would be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> you mean like you cut the you know, oh the, you know, yeah yeah you know, the, the, uh, the song that from, I loved, um, Fleetwood Mac Stephen Nix's friend uh, <laughs> Stephen <laughs> um, I want to be trouble trouble I want Lloyd I want Flankenbottom what's his name <laughs> Lindsey Buckingham Lindsey Buckingham yeah yeah anyway David Leisure is the first Hare Krishna yes which is great and uh, Gregory Itzen is yeah. one of the other religious yeah, people which I thought was really fun because I and I know of him I've seen him on Broadway uh, a couple times the president and the on president 24. in 24 yeah. he's so good the very hapless president you watch yeah, 24 yeah that's so weird. I am surprised by that. That's such a honest. populist piece of entertainment. Why, why did you I know, into that? I know exactly why. I only watched like two or three seasons of it, but that- <laughs> Oh, only three seasons. But the the conceit of like, of the 24 hour thing, I thought that was a great Every conceit. episode is an hour in the day. But that is yeah. like, when he's the president- You thought that was a brilliant like, conceit? Yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I mean, wow. And I think most Doesn't of America much, agreed folks. with me. Uh, I mean, but they did it in real time. So but did they really- yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, no, no, I'm, I'm asking honestly. Did they really do it in real time? Because that would be impressive to me. But is it like real time movie time where we got flashbacks and flash forwards? I don't think there were ever any flashbacks. No, flash no, 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 no. So it was, it was pretty, actually I'm real time. That you didn't watch that show. 24. I don't watch a lot of television. You know, I'm sure there were some bends and stuff. You never see anybody go to the bathroom. You never see anybody eat. And, and also, like, the terrorist always threatens Jack when it's like 8:59. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, one joke I didn't get. Hmm. The there's a fire in the barn. Nick, Pete, Jared, there's a fire in the barn. What is that? I don't get it. I think he's just like all these lines. Non sequitur, yeah, like, but also a tragedy of like, if it's like a, let's say a melodrama in the Midwest about the farm and there's a fire that could be like the big event of the film. You yeah, know, he also says it's a twister. It's hay a twister. And, and there's the right the twister thing. Here's a little comp reel of Steven Stucker. But he's an experienced Air Force pilot, a flu during the war, so there's no cause for alarm. Henshaw, take over. What kind of plane is? Oh, it's a big, pretty white plane with red stripes and curtains in the window and wheels, and it looks like a big Tylenol. Chief, this weather bulletin just came off the wire. Johnny, what can you make out of this? This? Well, I could make a cap or a brooch or a pterodactyl. Looks um, like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines. Johnny, how much more coffee? No, thanks. Pressure, ease off. Rex, he hasn't flown for years. It's not his fault. Could happen to any pilot. It happened to Barbara Stanwyck. Fog is getting thicker. And Leon's getting larger. Stand by, Stryker. We're going to the tower. Good luck. 
We're going to the tower. The tower? The tower? Rapunzel! Rapunzel! Now, there's a chance that we can save him if Stryker can get that plane down in time. That isn't much of a chance, is it? I don't know, Lynn. I don't know. Well, we're doing everything we can. Now, excuse me, huh? Where did you get that dress? It's awful. And those shoes and that coat. Jeez. <laughs> It's so fucking good. funny. So good. He's the most famous gif to come out of Airplane. Yeah, the unplugging. Unplug. And it's all down to Steven Stucker's brilliant facial expressions and timing. When you're like six or seven watching this movie and like you don't understand any of the jokes, he is the yeah. one who brings you into it. And it's, you know, he's still funny in your 30s. Too. When you're a kid, I don't think you get the gay thing. A lot of the jokes are referencing stereotypically gay stuff like Wizard of Oz. You appreciate the broadness of oh, it. Oh, sure. Right. Yeah. How about Mr. Rogers and stuff? He died very young. Yeah, only 38. He had been part of the Kentucky Fried right. Theater before. I remember digging into him a little bit, and there's like some interesting stuff. I remember reading about like a little of the darkness and dying very young and living a pretty crazy life out in Hollywood in the 60s and 70s. So how about alternative casting? Before alternative casting. Oh, here's one funny bit of trivia, which I loved. Did you know there was only one airline when the movie came out <laughs> that would book it as their in-flight entertainment? Yeah. Uh, it was Aeromexico. 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 Right. But I think that's... So what? So it wasn't successful. Like, I actually, oh, yeah, I probably wouldn't want to watch it. On my flight I actually watched it on a plane yesterday. Is that right? But I was conscious of hiding it from the other passengers. I didn't want to be watching an airplane disaster movie on an airplane, which I think actually is another gag yeah. in the movie. Yeah, yes, the plane that crashes. <laughs> so good. And they used that great stock footage shot of what was obviously some sort of scientific plane crash moment that I remember being uh, everything. There aren't that many deleted scenes, but there were a few. Oh, I didn't see them. There didn't was see one that I thought was very funny, which is of. Uh, Robert Stack and Lloyd Bridges arguing over how to like bring it down. And it's by a water cooler, you know, one mm-hmm. taking us one of the others, like, you know, we really should do this. And he's like, what are you kidding? He'll never get it down. And then throws the water cup down. And the other one's like, are you joking? He'll do fine. Then throws the water cup. And they keep with each thing as they go back and forth, they fill up another cup of water, <laughs> drink it, and keep throwing the cup on the ground to emphasize That's every brilliant. point. That's a deleted scene. I feel like I've seen that. Maybe. Well, because here's a funny thing is that oftentimes well, on the, the TV Maybe, yeah. and the TV versions, they would say they would add some scenes. Um, like the two little kids who are acting like adults. Uh, they oh, have yeah. all, like awesome, five minutes more. They were great. That's such a bizarre throwaway moment. And if you watch the whole thing, they did are. They, did they make that creepy? Did they like he put the moves on her or something? No, but you do find out that I guess I always thought they were just very sophisticated young children, whereas they actually do play it as like they're adults and have later they have a conversation. So he goes like, so how come like a sophisticated woman like you never got married? She's like, well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> somebody stop talking about me. Woman like you, why haven't you ever married? Well, I think that's a question all too easy to answer. I know the answer. Career. Smart woman like you became so involved in your work that you just didn't have time for marriage. I wish I could fool myself into believing that that's the reason. The truth of the matter is, nobody ever asked. You know, here we are, having a cup of coffee together, discussing education, business, economy. We don't even know each other's names. Full names, I mean. Mine's Eleanor. Eleanor Sheaf. That's a lovely name. Mine's Milton. Bill Ettenheim. My friends call me Bubbles. 
Another funny anecdote. Um, I'm telling this for super listener Richard, who I know is a big Jim Neighbors fan. Jim Abrahams made three more movies with Lloyd Bridges, and Jim Abrahams tells a story of, like, they'd gotten friendly. And the last one they did was Jane Austen's Mafia. He calls up Lloyd Bridges and he says, hey, Lloyd, it's Jim Abrahams. I uh, just finished a script. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> like, why are you calling me? And I said, well, you know, we wanted to pitch it to you since we, you know, worked together on airplane and hot shots and everything. And Lloyd Bridges goes, oh, oh, I thought you said you were Jim Neighbors. <laughs> Why is Jim Neighbors calling me to pitch to a pitch script? It's, it's like, I, I mean, I'll read it for you, I guess, but it's not call very me back when you got the money. They get to have a Jim Neighbors anecdote. So I just figured, let's seize the Take it Carpe, sure. Carpe Neighbors. Should we go to alternative casting? <laughs> yes, Wait, I think that's woo, a great idea. No, am I Nick, no. Am I allowed no. to pee real quick? No. 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 God, it's no. God, no. Yeah. no. No, no, no. Can I no. pee in a bottle? Yeah, you can pee in a bottle or on the floor. Put that one back. Okay, alternative casting. Well, the most famous one is, so I'm just going to go, I don't know, I'll just do it. Uh, <laughs> Sigourney Weaver is the only name that I found who also read for the Julie Hagerty role. And she came in actually in her audition. And for those of you actors out there, Lee, you can tell me whether you find that this helps or not. <laughs> she came in like dressed as like a 1940s stewardess. Now, uh -huh. as an actor, Chris, is that not done on an audition setting? You know what? I have heard conflicting I, it, things. I, I hear stories and it's always like, that's how nuts this person was. If you're sitting waiting to audition and you see somebody like dressed to the nines like that, you're you like, look this, down on them. this fucking guy. Like, is it one of those? I mean, it, or it might be like, oh, there's no way. Or you might be how no. I, if it's Chris, he's like, look oh, at me. Someone else. Tie. How else like am I going <laughs> to? How am I going <laughs> to compete with this guy with the floppy shoes? No, I mean, shoes. seriously, as an actor, is that considered like? Cheesy. I think that you should dress in a way that sort of suggests the role. But yes, if it looks like you're you trying too hard, trying too hard, it can backfire. Uh, in this case, I think Sigourney Weaver, I think probably already had a certain amount of accomplishment behind her. Uh, yeah, she was in a little thing called Alien, I, I think. Yeah, I don't think she did have that. Hadn't? Nobody else could have played that role except Julie yeah. Hagerty. Um, for Stryker, they read Bruce Jenner wanted the part and yeah. famously David Letterman and we can thanks to YouTube watch a little of his bizarre screen tests yeah you got a telegram this morning from headquarters headquarters what is it it's a big building where the officers meet but that's not important right now you're taking all the blame for what happened on that raid was a pretty courageous thing to do was it because of my mistake six men didn't come back from that raid Seven. Lieutenant Zip died this week. <laughs> Dr. Chandler says you'll be out in a week. Isn't that wonderful? I wish I could say the same thing for George Zip. Ted, be patient. No one expects you to get over this immediately. I found a wonderful little apartment for us. It has a brick fireplace and a cute little bedroom with mirrors on the ceiling. <laughs> What's wrong with him? So Lieutenant Hurwitz, severe shell shock. He thinks he's Ethel Merman. The only time I've ever seen him embarrassed or like yeah. ashamed. Who, Letterman? Yeah. Oh, he's not embarrassed. He's just chagrined. They all say they had the highest respect for Letterman's stand-up talents, but yeah. they knew he wasn't an actor. And I think they knew it wasn't going to work. And there's one of those situations, you know, it fell to one of the Zucker brothers to call Letterman and tell him he didn't get the part. He's so freaked out and nervous about making the call. And he finally drums up the courage, gets Dave on the phone. And he's just, oh, God, I got to tell him. He tells him. And Letterman was so relieved. Uh -huh. He's like so glad yeah. not to get the part. Yeah, he wouldn't have been quite as good as Robert Hayes, I don't think. No. I don't think so. Uh, nor would Barry Manilow, <laughs> which is another person who read for it. 
Oh, poor Barry. I just read a sad story. You know, he's doing one of those Broadway shows now. Like, a, oh, okay, like a Springsteen. Yeah. Apparently, it's not going well. How so? Uh, I just think. Like ticket sales or like the they're ticket not sales doing a good are job not with doing, the- Well, I think what it is is there's probably a market to go see Barry Manilow on Broadway, but I think you have to handle it and market it really specifically well. You have to create a moment for us to get into a Barry Manilow moment. You have right. to build up interest. You have to remind us all of Barry at his wittiest and funniest and singingest. Barry Manilow was going to be Stryker? Yeah, he read for Stryker. Strange. Would have been. Uh, Helen Reddy for The Nun. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Would have been good. I saw two things for the doctor, neither of which would have been, rather one of which might have been as good. Dom DeLuise or Christopher Lee. Yes. Christopher Lee would have been good. But again, Dom DeLuise, you're into that thing where if you have a comic actor, I mean, you know he would have just chewed the hell off the door of the airplane. Yeah. He would have been actually laughing in scenes like he does in his movies with Burt Reynolds. Zucker Abram Zucker (laughs) was saying that they had to pitch it to producers as Animal House on a plane. And it just goes to show that the producers saw something, but they didn't quite know what it was because other people that were reading for Stryker were Bill Murray and Chevy Chase. Yes. Christopher Lee said he turned it down in his autobiography. But, you know, Mm. who knows? But everyone uh, says they turned it down in their autobiography. So Fred Willard said he turned down the role of Stryker. I didn't. Yeah, he said he turned down the role and he immediately regretted it. And then watching the film later with his wife, his wife had the wisdom to say, you know, if you had taken it, it would have been a very different movie and might not have worked as well. I think he would have crushed. I think he would have been great. Didn't Fred Willard have this moment where he was canceled pre Me Too? Is that right? I don't know. Am I just slandering him? He pleasured himself in a movie theater. Fred Willard, you know, is pretty hilarious and pretty omnipresent. Yeah. So, wow. 2012. He was arrested on suspicion of engaging in a misdemeanor lewd act at an adult theater on Santa. First of all, if you're in an adult theater on Santa Monica Boulevard, the whole point of being in the adult theater is to engage in a misdemeanor lewd act. However, there was no proof of misconduct and no charges were filed. Despite this, PBS fired Willard from Market Warriors immediately following his arrest. And Mark Wahlberg replaced him on the show. Not Mark Wahlberg, the other oh. Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> Fred Willard was just in Tim Robinson's sketch show. He, he had his own sketch in Tim Robinson's. Uh, oh, yeah. The, What's that uh, called I again? Should, I think you should leave. Uh, I think you should leave, yeah. Fred Willard's great. I watched what a little of that. Didn't feel it? The, uh, just the, the whole thing. The best baby contest made me cry laugh. Really? That sketch was so good. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Did you watch that? No. Uh, that's like five minutes into the first episode is... The Baby of the Year contest. That is so good. Sam Richardson, who played Tim Robinson's counterpart on Detroiters, hosting a Baby of the Year contest. And there's judges. And one of the babies is dressed up as a biker dude. And he's evil. And he gets booed by the crowd. It's so good. It's so, so good. Uh, I'll have to watch that. But Fred Willard has his own sketch in that series. Oh, that's good. So he's back. Yeah, he's back. Seems I mean, be back. imagine the simpler time of 2012 where just jerking off in a movie theater was like you could yeah. be fired from your show for that shit. Yeah. Slow Come news on. year, I guess. Come on. Jeez, there's no other. It's a victimless crime, people. Yeah, please. I mean, I mean well, depending on who's sitting in front of you. Well, or who has to clean up after you. Yeah. But Rob, I'm Fred Willard. Fred Willard cleaned up after Canadian himself. Canadian or something, isn't he? I'm sure he cleaned up after yeah, himself. Yeah, come on. <laughs> He's just an improviser. I'm sure it doesn't necessarily mean Canadian. This isn't an alternative casting moment, but the woman who brilliantly has the internal thoughts. Oh, I should have had that second cup of coffee. Oh. <laughs> Jim never vomits at home. She actually was in that The U-Ban yeah. coffee commercials, yeah. yes. Oh, sure you can't stay for more coffee? Wait, it's late, and Jim never has a second coffee. You coffee. know, 
I'd love another cup. Jim never had seconds of my coffee. And I made pretty good coffee. But that night, we both discovered Uban. <laughs> and she says that uh, she doesn't think that they, they didn't know. That. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Full cast and crew is brought to you by Behemoth from Monkey Brain Comics. Behemoth is the dirty dozen meets the fly with little Spider-Man thrown in. Kids are turning into monsters and the government steps in to keep things quiet. Some are never heard from again, but others are forced on suicide missions on behalf of a world that hates them as part of Project Behemoth. Find it on monkeybraincomics.com or Comixology today. Uh, any other alternative casting? That's it. That's all that I've got. Nick, do you have any other alternative casting notes? Not that my friend Chris didn't already reference. Okay, shall we move on to Latchkey TV? Yes. Hello? Nick, do you have your TV guide and your do. swollen bladder? Yeah, okay, that. Nick, uh, you're so a child I, of the 90s, if yeah, I'm so this was so interesting. this is probably a little journey back in time for you. I don't even know if you know who that is on the cover. Well, distant time, because this is April 18th, 24th, 1987, when I would have been all of 16 months old. Oh, my so, God. So yeah. um, I wasn't watching much television. Wow, child rearing has changed so much. Do you have? It has. All right, so Nick, you have a 1987 TV guide? Yes, April 18th to 24th, okay. 1987. It's Thursday afternoon. You're home from school. Yeah. Uh, uh, you're going to want to cite, you're gonna, we're going to ask you for log lines, so you're going to want more than this list that you wrote out here. So the conceits is that I, it's the shows that I would choose, right, yes. to watch? Yes. I didn't see many log lines for them. Okay. Three o'clock is Scooby-Doo. Three o'clock is Scooby-Doo. And again, I'm 16 months old, so presumably this is just my parents leaving me in front of an on television. <laughs> right, so right, there's not a lot of actual choices. I don't, yeah, which I think they did actually, often. I was the fourth child. You don't have so. to actually put yourself back to 1987. Look, <laughs> I, you can have a little, I'm it's really, not a... I'm, I'm a method. All right, um, so, so 3.30. What are you watching at 3.30? I, I was definitely a big fan of He-Man as a young as ah. a young lad. Is that Masters of the Universe? Masters yes. of the Universe, yeah. 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 And I was more a fan, to be honest, of the Dolph Lundgren film. He-Man Masters mm. of the Universe. Did you see the post-credit sequence in that? <laughs> uh, there is one. <laughs> I don't think so. You actually know that? Yeah, because I watched it pretty recently. Really? So uh, Masters of the Universe Wait, actually why has... did you watch it recently? Wait, it's the Masters of the Universe? With... How much culture have you consumed, my friend? He's consumed a, a lot. lot of comic book culture. <laughs> a lot. Is this the 1987 Masters yes, of the Universe? Right. Yeah. With Dolph Lundgren, Dolph Lundgren, famed physicist, and <laughs> Frank, Langella Frank Langella plays friggin' Skeletor. Mm-hmm. Uh, which Ooh, he's of a course, good Skeletor. Who is the bald guy that's also in Top Gun that uh, that <laughs> plays the like the guy who stays in the other realm? At John Pfeiffer. Yeah. Is that who it is? It's know. the guy who's also the uh, principal in Back to the Future, who we were also talking about. Yeah, yeah, recently. that guy. Because he's not Donald Pleasance. He's like the poor man's Donald Pleasance. <laughs> the poor man's oh, right. Brooklyn Donald yes. Pleasance. Isn't it um, James Tolkien? James Tolkien. Yes. The great yeah, James okay. Tolkien. Yeah. yeah. He is in He-Man Masters of the oh, Universe. Okay. He plays like a tough cop who then right, ends so up. I believe watching... he stays there, doesn't he, at the end? I, I have this like <laughs> yeah, memory as a so... six-year-old where he explains to Dolph Lundgren, like, actually, I loved the other realm or whatever the fuck yeah, I think so he, much. I think, he, I think he... He found love. He found Which love. he did not have in 1980s. I don't know anything about He-Man or so, Masters well, of the Universe. I wouldn't. So Frank Langella is Skeletor, and in it, he like dies. And then there's the movie. And it, it was a huge flop. But in the end, there is a post-credit sequence. Oh, I didn't know. That. I mean, was it a huge fault? I don't know if it was huge, it, but it was certainly not, you know, they didn't a make the sequel, song, the sequel that they were planning on making. Is He-Man, I, is He-Man the one that's like, he's running? Is that the one where he's wearing a singlet? I mean, yeah, yeah. It's like an he's armored like singlet. A, he's wearing a like a, a furry Speedo and, uh, and a breastplate. <laughs> uh, but is that the one where he says, I have the power? I have the yes, power? In that's the cartoon. He-Man. 
though not in the movie. All I wanted to say was in the end, Skeletor pops out of like uh, this lava he fell into and he says, I'll be back, which was ironic because it'll ne- it never, they didn't make another one. And he didn't even well, want to do so that. ironic they, because- they don't, they don't know that at the time. I mean, well, you gotta I leave the sequel open. <laughs> Ripped off back and Terminator the... 2 five years ago with lava. And I'll I, I guarantee you they're making a He-Man movie now. There's no way they're not. Oh, yeah. Oh, right? I was Probably. just reading about it. Oh, Hopefully it's go. with Dolph Lundgren again. I'm sure he'll do a cameo. Uh, and then at 4 o'clock, I'm watching the cartoon Transformers for sure. Cue which, the theme which, from which Jason. Jason. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Robots in disguise. Transformers. <laughs> Robots the, in the sky. The lyrics were so convoluted. Well, we're also not trained singers. True. I mean, somebody. No, I'm just saying they stuffed a lot of words in a very few beats, which is why you need a trained singer. All right, Nick. What else? 4:30. I'm watching the cartoon Ghostbusters, which I believe had Lorenzo Music, the mm. voice actor, playing the Bill Murray character. I think off the top of my head, he was always the guy that had the funny lines now, in the Ghostbusters cartoon. Are you sure Who else that played it is Garfield? That it is that Ghostbusters cartoon, or is it the other? Because remember, at the same time, there was the one that was like the movie, but then there was a different one that was more like Ghostbusters cartoons. And I think the one you're talking about is called the real Ghostbusters (gasps) versus the one where there was guys in like a jalopy. Oh, you're Uh, right. Huh. There were two different cartoon Ghostbusters. Yeah. Yes. Because I think prior to the the overrated film, uh, there <laughs> wow. was a uh, prior huh. to the 84, there had been something else, other cartoon or maybe it was a comic called Ghostbusters after the movie had success and they wanted to make a cartoon. They found out somebody else had the rights to make something by that name. And so that's why they had to call it the real Ghostbusters. Talk about complicating wow. the marketplace. You knew that on the top of your head. Yeah. You have to understand this is Chris's world. Chris I've been around. Have you been in Chris's home? No. There's a lot of comic related stuff. Do you have cases that you keep your comics I in? I got long boxes. What is that? Just like a long box. <laughs> that you what keep. are those things they have now at the comic conventions? It's like a plastic box. Yeah, I, I, I guess comes. I don't even like know what you would call it. Yeah. The seal. That's when, yeah. And it has a little holographic sticker over the seal. I don't know what they're called, but no, I know yeah. it's like you get it professionally yes. graded. You have it like sealed. So Lord knows we wouldn't be able change. to fake that grading stamp. I mean, that's why it's sealed in the thing. What's the What's the most expensive comic book you ever purchased? Oh, I don't know. Uh, not much. Uh, after I, I, what's not hundreds of dollars? <laughs> no, 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 not hundreds of dollars. No, no, fifty dollars, probably. Uh, when we were at Comic Con, you bought that Flaming Care comic. That was that I didn't was, buy that, it. I was thinking about buying that was, Flaming Care number one like, for hundred bones. That was a hundred bucks. Why didn't you buy it? Look, a hundred dollars. It was graded you know, A. I, I would love to think it was graded one hundred. I would love to think that a hundred bucks grades. meant nothing, but uh, and also I was going to the airport directly from the convention. <laughs> But it came in a box that. that I'm talking about. It came in the jewel case. It did not no, come in a jewel case. Maybe the guy would have thrown in a jewel case. Uh, maybe. <laughs> hey, listen, I got to get on a plane, buddy. Yeah, listen, I want to make sure that this flaming carrot. I want my one flaming carrot to be in protected, so to speak. That's not a euphemism, folks, for your kids listening. At home. <laughs> so what is it though? What what is the fl- what is the, what uh, do, uh, don't should we not don't don't. Have I'll only cut it because <laughs> not not because only because oh, of my cut. own earnestness. Flaming carrot. I'm not going to talk about anything that I actually care about. Flaming carrot is a superhero. It's a super, it's like a surrealist comic for, that started in 79. It actually hasn't been published in a while, but if you remember the movie Mystery Men, mm. that was a spinoff of uh, Flaming Carrot. Huh. Why doesn't someone make a Flaming Carrot movie? That sounds like an awesome movie. Seems inevitable, I would say. Too, too, too dumb. dumb? Yeah. Too dumb. I think most answers now in 2019 for why something is or <laughs> isn't is that people are too dumb. Yeah, it's, and I'm sure, like how right? it applies to really both. Like, why does somebody do this? Or yes. Why did they do this? Yeah. Too dumb. Why did or too didn't anyone do, do anything? Uh, next. Uh, next, I am watching 
Judge Wapner on the People's Court for sure. Definitely Judge Wapner. My, uh, my, we keep I, doing that joke every time. No, keep it. Long as it takes. Oh, there's Rayman. Yeah, thank you, Nick. Uh, we uh, uh, we used to go down to my mom's aunt's house in Osterville, Massachusetts, and all she would do was binge uh, oh, People's Court. That's sad. I'm yeah, sad. She would. Uh, Did po- she wear a house polish kettle one in water? Did and- she have a house coat? <laughs> or this is more upscale. No, this was like a yeah. This was a upscale retirement community type mm. of thing. Um, but binge it? Like, w- would it be playing like one over after the other and over, and over again? Maybe just my memory of it. But she would yeah. watch uh, six or seven straight episodes. Now, does it say what uh, what cases were? Oh no, man, no, it doesn't. It's just People's Court. All right. But uh, it wouldn't matter to me. I would, <laughs> yeah, what, <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. Now I will say, there is. I'll do a little bit for you. Keep going. Keep going. I thought this that was like is a the surf plaintiff. This is the plaintiff. Although I will say, wild card pro baseball arm wrestling, which also wait, does not have yeah, does, wait, 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 does wait, not wait. have pro baseball arm wrestling team arm wrestling. That's also but why, on what does baseball have to do with it? No idea. It's I guess pro it's like baseball arm wrestling. Baseball players. I don't huh. know if uh, the teams Smart. arm wrestle each other. Spin off incredible. From, spinoffs from sports leagues. Yeah, I don't sports know sports people playing other sports. I Love haven't it. seen that on uh, ESPN Classic or anything. I don't know if it Chris was baseball real. is a game played with a ball and a bat and a diamond. I know. I saw basketball. Five thirty. Um, We're only at five thirty, huh? Well, we got I, I I factored in dinner and homework per Chris's wishes. Yeah, okay. uh, but you guys actually had a conversation. Yeah, we did. You factor in dinner. I did. I was like, feel uh, free to skip over. People are really hours. taking this segment pretty damn seriously when they're saying like, should <laughs> I should I think about what I actually would be doing? Because I used to shower at five forty-five. Yes, definitely put that in. Um, I'm watching the Brady Bunch at five thirty. Also, didn't what have episode? a synopsis. It didn't have one. Sorry. No. Uh, just Brady Bunch dash comedy. Are you, you said you're the youngest of four, 16? yeah, four, 16, rather. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so did Brady Bunch appeal for like having a lot of siblings around? Like, I don't think I ever made that uh, tie. You're youngest of four. Yeah. Oh, that uh-huh. explains a lot. At, uh, so six and six 30 yes. per the host wishes. I am eating dinner and Great. doing a little bit of homework. <laughs> Good Could for you. Over that part, but okay. Uh, seven o'clock. Obviously, you have a bright future ahead of you that does not involve basic cable. Uh, seven o'clock. Uh, <laughs> if I'm being honest, and I know this is boring for this particular podcast, no, not, not at all, Jason. But no. I'm watching Sports Center. Finally, great. thank wait, you, Nick. Wait, wait, uh, wait, wait. <laughs> Let's go on to the end of the show. <laughs> As we end, yeah, you have four. some other. The last thing I want to say is yes. I, I would absolutely pound Nova at eight p.m., which. Uh, I didn't realize is that it was a still sexual thing. Pound Nova. What does that mean? Watch it. I would watch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it would fuck but like Nova. really, but like really, really watching. Watch. Oh no. Now, I mean, would well, you watch the Nova episode from 1986, High Tech Babies? Yeah. That addresses Ooh. the medical, legal, yeah, ethical, and yeah. political. See, Did you write that? Was a yeah. logline. Yeah, there was. Chris a Chris is helping here. you. He found it on your sheet, and then he went to <laughs> I'm find. Also it. helping yeah. me. <laughs> of course, I would watch this episode. Nova. Nova was great. Does did either of you not watch Nova? I didn't realize it was still on. What I was wondering about Nova is that, is it a Boston thing or is it like a New England thing? Because I went to its Wikipedia and it says it's broadcast from WGBH. Oh, could well, be. Well, yeah, it's probably a production of. Do you of, know what we're talking about? No, no, I definitely know oh, Nova, but, oh, sorry, no. but I, just, I never well, watched Well, you know, like much. many of the PBS shows have originations from specific channels yeah. within the PBS universe. Okay. Fascinating digression into the PBS broadcasting strategies. Listen- we got a lot of overlap in our, um, Listener in our group? listenership, which is why if you like this kind of content, uh, you should pledge. You know, you're, you've been getting it for free <laughs> oh, up until now. Oh, that's true. Yeah. How about a pledge drive? Wait, are you charging for this? No. <laughs> no. We're, we're Certainly not this one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, 
this is Chris's signature out. I gotta gotta find my. He's gotta cue it up. Don't peek. Oh, you know what we barely talked about, of course, is uh, airport. Ah, the reason why I wanted to mention it is because actually I wanted to go out on a line from airport. I wanted to go out on the same line at the end that ends zero hour, but it's literally. <laughs> A line from, uh, it's one of those lines that is repeated directly in airplanes. So I thought that was a little too close. <laughs> well, instead, side. I was going to go out and uh, just say, oh, and just say for all of you young kids who have been enjoying our trip down memory lane. Oh, Thank you for listening to this episode of Full Cast and Crew. I hope you enjoyed it. If so, drop us a line. You can email us at fullcastandcrewpod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at at fullcastandcrew or on Instagram at fullcastandcrew or, of course, find the podcast on Facebook. And if you really, really enjoyed it, take a screenshot of your favorite episode on your podcast player and forward it to a friend so they can subscribe and figure out what you're always laughing about. And if you didn't enjoy it, I don't know, drop us a line anyway. I can take it.